everyone, and welcome back. This is episode three of You Know I'm Right, the podcast where we debate hot topics. I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. And those are my parents, my mom and dad. They're here to join me as two boomers, one three millennial, just in case anyone out there thinks that I'm like 17 when I say I'm a millennial. And we're, you know, talking about hot topics. The whole purpose of this podcast is for us to research our opinions, use relatively unbiased media, and see if maybe we change the way we think. And it's also to open up better responsible conversations, something it doesn't feel like we're having a whole lot of right now, thanks to the internet. Um, listeners, so lovely to have you today. Please remember to like, subscribe, and if you're on a platform such as iTunes, Spotify, something like that, that allows you to leave a recommendation or comment, please do. It definitely helps us. You can also reach out to us after the show at I'm Right Podcast on all social media channels and talk to us a little bit more about what you think. So let's get into today's topic. We're talking about universal healthcare in the United States and whether or not it is a viable option. Um, so a couple stats for you. About 27 million people in the U.S., which is roughly 9%, don't have health insurance, mainly because they can't afford it. In the U.S., somewhere around 22,000 people die each year from treatable illnesses simply because they don't have the money to be treated. And it's estimated that two out of three bankruptcies in the U.S. are driven by healthcare expenses. That doesn't mean that healthcare necessarily bankrupted them. They may have had some other problems, but healthcare is what tipped them over the edge. Of all of what is considered developed countries, we are the only one without universal healthcare and our yearly expenses on healthcare in 2017 totaled 17.9% of the annual GDP of the good old US of A. So is healthcare part of the American dream or not? What do you guys think? Where do you stand on this issue, for it or against it? Well, I'm against Medicare for all, as they are calling it in all the presidential debates. I am, an, let me clarify, I'm not against health care for all, but I am against some of the proposed ways to combat the issue currently. And I'm a little bit different perspective because I am one of the fortunate uh, Americans that have private health care as part of my benefits from my previous employer. Um, I do think that affordable health care should be made available to everyone, but I do not think that it is the government's place to provide it, but they should do all they can to make it affordable. Nice. Um, as I'm sure you are probably already guessing, given that I live in Germany, one of the top 10 healthcare providers and systems in the world, I am 100% for universal healthcare. Um, we have single payer 
a system here. A lot of people think Germany is on socialized healthcare, but we're not. It's single payer. It is required. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's one of the reasons why, um, you know, when you guys have asked me if I am planning on coming back to the U.S. anytime soon, I'm generally like, yeah, nah, I don't want to go bankrupt if I get the flu. Uh, so I really love um, universal healthcare, but I also believe it's going to be really hard to do in the U.S. because it's so big and the system's already established. So I kind of uh, am really looking forward to this debate so we can see maybe where to even start what we can do. Uh, when you two were looking at healthcare, kind of putting your arguments and opinions together, what were some things that you found? How do you want to kick this off? I, I think where we need to start is define what is universal health care. It's kind of a broad term mm -hmm. that politicians are throwing out. Um, and, and like you say, there's, I think 32 out of the 33 developed countries have some sort of universal health care. But looking at it, there seems to be three different main types of health care, um, and you made reference to single payer. Uh, that's, that's what you have. Canada has a single payer system, you know, where the government provides health insurance for everyone. Uh, but their doctors and hospitals are still a private business or they're nonprofits. Now, socialized medicine, um, you know, that's where all the hospitals are owned by the government and the doctors and nurses. Mm -hmm. are basically government employees. And then here in the U.S., the majority of insurance is private insurance company. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they're regulated, um, but you know it, it's just um, a, a defining part of what is universal health care and which way do we want to go from here. Well, what do you consider to be universal health care? How would you two define that as a concept? It, it, to me, it's a government health system. It's kind of a one-size-fits-all, which I hate in a clothing label, so I even hate it more to apply it to anything health-wise. Um, but to me, it almost seems like we're paying more to get less and as far as quality and health care and needs. Because I've heard in some instances where Patients actually wait based on their age, how debilitated they are, for a health procedure um, just in case they die in the interim. And I would hate to think that. What country? What country have you heard that that's happening in, just out of curiosity? Because I know it does happen, but is there a specific country you're referencing? Um, I have heard this from um, people in Canada. The Canadian people that I've spoken with, um, just general people that we've met here and about, have talked about their healthcare system because the debates have been so great. And when you run into them and casually, we bring up the conversations about the differences between the two countries and that always seems to pop up. Hey, what do you think about this? And they always say that they don't think their healthcare system is the best and they can't figure out why the United States would even want to adopt that plan. I think it's scary um, where 
people think that when we do talk about universal healthcare, which for me just basically means everyone has healthcare and options for healthcare. It's a, for me, it means it's a functioning system where everybody can take care of their health at a reasonable cost and it be accessible to them without fear. Um, Some systems are very broken, very broken, of course. And we hear this coming out from the NHS. And I read some things that said the NHS in the UK, a lot of their issues are from them starting to privatize um, systems. One thing that you said is that you feel like you're going to be paying more for less and in the US, the average citizen spends 10,000 per year, whereas countries that do have universal healthcare average only 5,000 per person per year. And we're already spending so much in the US on healthcare between co-pays, um, fees that come in afterwards, monthly insurance rates that we're actually spending more than people that get better healthcare. Well, you know, to, to me, universal healthcare like I say, is where it's affordable insurance, where it's available to everyone who qualifies for coverage. The ability to pay for health insurance or not be able to pay for it should not deprive a person of receiving medical treatment or attention. Everybody that qualifies for healthcare coverage, regardless of the race, the religion, or gender, age, or geographic location should have the right to access health insurance of of some sort. Mm -hmm. Um, I I think part of that too, we need to quantify and qualify as part of any universal health care coverage, who does qualify. I'm a universal health care. Do people have to qualify? I, you're probably already expanding this right now, but if universal health care is something meant to be available to everyone, why does somebody have to qualify for it? Because I, I think that's what drives a lot of people to come to the United States Ill- illegally is for benefits, um, health care, some housing. In my opinion, I, I think it's wrong that we can't provide for our own citizens, some of these basic necessities, um, even our veterans, we, we need to take care of you know, our citizens with, with providing basically the essentials for life. I agree, we do need to take care of our citizens first and that the abuses our system is incurring um, but undocumented illegal immigrants do not get health care. They simply are not eligible to buy marketplace health coverage. They don't have to buy it if they go to a hospital. This is my understanding. If they go to a hospital and they need health care, the hospital cannot turn them down. Okay, but that's not universal health care. That's somebody walking into a hospital and getting care. That, I think that's a separate issue from what we're talking about here. And I really, really, really wish that, um, mom, I sent you that book that I would love for you guys to read called Dying of Whiteness, How the Politics of Racial Resentment is Killing America's Heartland. It's by um, an author named Jonathan M. Metzl. This book is amazing because it actually talks a little bit about this, where a lot of people in the U.S. are so afraid of somebody that they don't think deserves to 
be treated that they're willing to forego their own health. And in specific, so he goes into statistics and into studies and he looks at uh, Tennessee and their refusal to expand Medicaid. And a lot of the arguments there were, well, I don't want people that aren't working to get healthcare that I pay for. I don't want illegal immigrants to get healthcare. So I'm not going to vote for Medicaid. And people are dying from preventable diseases like kidney disease that Medicaid could treat them for, but because they don't want someone else to have it because they don't think they're worthy, they're willing to die. And so it's actually, we're seeing a higher death rate within the white population simply because they don't want other people to have it. It's a really fascinating book. I think you would like it for, you know, these reasons, but what do you think of that? Well, I, I think that is borders on a racist statement that you're saying white people that I, I don't think it's just, you know, a white person saying that. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, feel that we should take care of citizens first. Um, we, and we are the most welcoming country of anywhere on earth as far as welcoming people into the U.S. that come here the correct way. And once again, that's, that's my opinion on it. Well, I don't care what color you are. You could be purple. If you need health care, you've got an illness, emergent need, then somebody needs to help you. The question becomes one person versus 58 million people. How do you bridge that gap to get the health care to everyone at a cost that doesn't bankrupt our country? The um, out-of-pocket expenses, I think, is what's concerning to me. When I read some things about doubling taxes for all American families and the reduced risk or the reduced ability to put you know, food on your table or pay for your child's education, pay for your rent or housing, it becomes an issue of what do you give up in order to get something? And I'm, I'm glad you brought both of those things up, A, because, you know, can bump heads, whatever, on the earlier statement. I do think that there, it is a predominant issue where the majority of American citizens do not want certain people access to something, so they're willing to forego it. And when you're talking about taxes, it's this, why do I have to give something up? But if you look at healthcare expense, in the US, it's about 10,000 per year. Countries that have universal healthcare only average 5,000 in healthcare expenses per year. If you look at countries like Denmark and Finland, which is when we're talking about universal healthcare, we often defer to them because they're considered to be the top of the top. Yes, they do have higher taxes, but those taxes cover programs and incentives in healthcare that keep the population healthy and ticking. And in those countries like Denmark, $29,606 is the same salary as what we're seeing in the US as $45,284. So their salary to have a good quality life is considerably lower. And if we're already spending double what countries with universal healthcare do, are you really losing anything by having a slight raise in your taxes? Cause you're already paying that in the end 
on exorbitant fees anyway, because we don't have a master list for our prices. So you're well, I agree with that. Um, I think that one of the things we need to conquer is price tags. We aren't privy to this information for procedures, and we usually understand what a bill is going to cost after the fact. And um, then it's a big debacle between our insurance companies, um, their bureaucratic policies to not pay a physician and argue back and forth what is the final outcome going to be for the reimbursement for the procedure to the physician. Yeah. So then you have the administrative costs associated with these practices from the health insurance companies. And I think it drives up the cost because somebody somewhere is going to end up paying that anyway. Yeah, the administrative fees that we have are ridiculous. But the thing is, is that even though I'm for universal health care, I don't know if universal health care could ever be established in the US. And part of that is A, because of the size, B, because it's so vast and expansive already. I don't know if you can readapt the whole system and not create a bigger problem. And then third, because we do not have that master list of prices, we have a, a set of different prices for public, private, and government insurance. And when they go to pay those bills, they go and negotiate with the service provider. So each insurance provider then negotiates those prices with the hospitals instead of here in Germany where there is like that master list. Now in the US, if we say, let's make that master list of prices, the people that already have their hands in the pot aren't gonna to wanna to drop their costs. They're not gonna to wanna to lose their money and their wealth and their livelihood. So they'll set a master list that's probably more expensive than what we already have. So that master list is a major part of universal healthcare, and I don't know if we can do that. I agree with that because they're going to know what they used to get for something mm -hmm. versus what they may get now with a set price. And if you think about it, we have a concept here in the U.S. It's almost rooted that there's an underlying individual responsibility um, almost like deontological ethics, if you will, that cause friction when applied to, say, the grain of our country's inner workings. Mm -hmm. I think that this kind of invokes the concept that nothing is free. And that's true. Nothing is free. Somebody does pay for it. And that is where this this type of government program in a country this large is, I don't think, will work. Um, I think there's no question that America's healthcare system is ailing. The cost of everything is very high and it keeps raising every year, even faster than our incomes. And the people who need care just do not receive it. I think a lot about like me as a child and everything that we went through and all my doctor's visits. And I don't feel like the healthcare that we had when you were my age or when I was a child is at all adequate or even comparable to what we have now. And I kind of wonder like if you were my parent now with everything I went through with the doctor's visits and exploratory testing and you know all the time that we spent in different places trying to figure out what was going on and all the medicine, and that, I mean, that was years of doing this. 
I, I don't know if you guys would financially be able to handle that burden now. I feel like the insurance has changed so much to where, oh, gosh, I hate to think of it, but I think you guys would probably be bankrupt. Um, I don't, I don't know about that. Dad's insurance was very, very good. And I think, yeah, and now um, our insurance is still very good simply because we work for companies that provide good insurance. Yeah, because you're in healthcare, mom. So you're really involved in this. And I think you can see it from different aspects too. Mm -hmm. And I, I think part of what we need to look at is the influence of two different entities. Blue Cross Blue Shield. <laughs> well, I was going to say, you know, private insurance carriers. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they have a strong lobbying group, but they lobby politicians. If you look at the money that lobbyists give to politicians, there is a vested interest. Mm -hmm lobbying group to get what they want. There's a vested interest on the politicians to give them what they want so they can get more money. You know, if we go back and, and look, you know, we, we, everybody touched on the point that the U.S. is the only developed nation that doesn't have universal health care. Back in 1912, um, that's when President Theodore Roosevelt, when he was running for president, Back then, he advocated for sickness insurance that would be guaranteed by state and federal governments. You know, from 1912 to today in 2020, they still haven't been able to come up with a plan. Um, so that tells you something about politicians and them wanting to make a promise, we can do this and do that. And 108 years later, they still haven't got it done. I don't think it's all politicians, though. I think a lot of it is the American dream and that consumerism, because if we go back to that time, during this time, this is about the time that the New York Medical Society formed, and they were created to regulate medical schools and say who could get in because the doctors wanted to control competition, and so they created the licensing board, and those the licensing that started from the New York Medical Society, their regulations actually created a shortage of doctors by 1930, which is also about the time of the Great Depression. And then so during the Great Depression, you not only have a shortage of doctors, but people can't be paid. So they're getting paid in food, like livestock and chickens. And those doctors then started to create their own insurance companies as a way to cover fees for their services. And that's actually how Blue Cross Blue Shield began as a tax exempt business from doctors springing out of that Great Depression era trying to get paid. So when you have our very basic first insurance companies coming out of a financial interest of the doctors and I mean, when I found that out, I was thinking, wow, so the people that are providing the services and need to get paid are the ones who created the insurance to begin with. That seems like a strong conflict of interest that makes creating insurance for all already a major issue. And I think politics definitely play into that, but it also goes to the layman, the businessman, and this consumerism that drives the U.S. You guys know kind of how I feel about that. And anyway, it comes up every conversation. Um, but I don't think it's only politicians. I think it's businessmen as well. 
Well, let, let's piggyback on what you said, you know, from the 1930s, mm -hmm. you know, back when President Truman back in 49, he pushed for universal health care as part of his fair deal mm -hmm. program. You know, that didn't make it. Um, you know, we'll fast forward to 1965. Well, when, before you get to 65, go back to 40, because the reason Truman's New Deal on healthcare didn't make it was because of the healthcare industry and lobbyists that already had hands in the pot putting out advertisements saying that universal healthcare was socialism. And people were so scared of socialism at the time that they refused to adopt it. So rhetoric and political propaganda stopped that from happening, not that he failed. Well, and that goes back to politicians getting rich by being in politics, you know, that getting money to keep some things from happening. What, what I was going to say and expand in, in 65 when LBJ was president, you know, he started Medicare and Medicaid as part of the social security program. There is an example of something that was done 55 years ago and they've had a chance to study it, use it as a model, tweak it a little here and there and see what does and doesn't work and use that as a basis for some sort of affordable insurance uh, for people. And they still can't get it done having a, a system that shows them how it can progress and how it needs to be adopted for different scenarios. Yeah, admittedly, I didn't know a lot about Medicare and Medicaid until, until starting to look for this. And I wasn't in the US either when the Affordable Care Act came in. So that was something else I had to research quite a bit about. But what shocked me about Medicaid is it's supposed to be for low income people who are not able to get employer provided health care. They're not one of the 156 million Americans that rely on employer based health care. But what really shocked me is that not only can 5 million Americans living under poverty not qualify for Medicaid, they cannot qualify for Medicaid because they are adults without children. So a big contingency of being on Medicaid is that you are a parent and that shocked me. And then something else that shocked me is that one in three births in the US are paid for by Medicaid because of the amount of Americans that do live under the poverty line. So about 10% of the population, according to what I could find. And I found that pretty shocking too, that we have these programs meant to help people that need it. But then the qualifications, like what, what if I don't want to have a child? What if I cannot have a child? I can't get public health care. That really made no sense to me. I was kind of shocked. Well, and, and some people confuse Medicare and Medicaid. Um, and Medicare is basically for the group, you know, an aging population that is 65 or. But I'm old. not talking about Medicare. I'm talking about Medicaid specifically. Okay. Well, Medicaid, you know, that's still a joint effort between the federal government and the local, the state governments. Uh, and it, it piggybacks with the chip the children's uh, health insurance program and it provides coverage to over 72 and a half million americans uh, you know and that includes children pregnant women parents seniors and individuals with disabilities disabilities 
uh, you know, 72.5 million people, that's a little over 22% of the population is on Medicaid. You know, I've had some fortunate situations, like when I had the dog bite, um, I had a roommate with a dog, the dog bit my right forearm, just completely trashed it, pulled the muscle off the bone, tore my nerves. Um, my entire arm was black and blue from all these punctures on it for quite some time. And at that point, it was during uh, the last recession in the US, I had lost my job. I was in my mid 20s, I think. Um, I had lost my job. I was working three part-time jobs, but I didn't qualify for any health insurance because I couldn't get a full-time job. I was still in college and I was working three part-time jobs. And I was very fortunate that um, the Marion County, um, it's, I don't remember what it was called back then. It's now Eskenazi Health, but what it was before then, they actually ended up waiving uh, the fees for when you took me to the hospital. Well, I think it's very value-added to um, a lot of the population with disabilities who don't yet re, uh, meet the requirements for Medicare. Mm -hmm. I think there are probably some that have squeezed by and gotten approved for Medicaid when they really should not have. Uh, I think it's something that should be looked at and um, perhaps reviewed. But the thing of it is, here we go back to the gross amount of people who are already enrolled, who's going to take that task on. Mm -hmm. And where do we begin? And so I think perhaps our whole healthcare system and the way we operate, it is broken. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking earlier about the 1980s and um, medical expenses in the US alone increased 117% mm -hmm. in the 1980s and that rise 43% between the prior years, it rose 43% um, was due to general inflation. Well, there was also a lot of cocaine in the 80s, so who knows what people are doing. <laughs> <laughs> the cocaine shouldn't affect our medical expenses. Well, and people are falling off of buildings and off boats and doing stupid stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen videos of the 80s. <laughs> there was a rise in technology, um, treatments began to emerge, treatments with new indications for populations who really needed it, and pharmaceuticals, you know, new drugs to treat different disease states. There's a gap, though, still of 24% in that inflation that went to the American medical system. How does that justify, or how is that justified? And I think we're seeing a repeat of this, but it's exponential in that the increase every year is even greater. Mm -hmm. Do you think our growth in R&D has led to part of that growth at all in the medical expenses? Oh, it certainly led to the pharmaceutical. And, um, but see, I'm more in the pharmaceutical realm, but I would have to say technology is also impacted because the cost has to be recouped somewhere. The companies will absorb 
some of the costs, but then of course there's other costs that are passed on. And um, that will drive up the cost that the patient incurs in the end. Well, Jess, you, you made a, uh, a pretty valid point about the licensing board and it being set up by doctors. You know, here in the US, it, it, if you stand back and look, most doctors you go to as a primary care physician, their training is to be reactionary. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say this feels bad. First thing they do is want to prescribe you some kind of medicine mm -hmm. or this or that, or they want to send you maybe to a specialist. You know, the, the population is such there's you know, more viruses or issues that people are getting, especially as, as we age. And I think maybe we need to train our doctors a little bit more. I've been looking more at some of the earlier ways of treating holistic medicine. There's got to be a better way than just throwing meds or chemicals at people saying this will fix you. Kind of sounds like you want to defund the healthcare system. No, I, I don't. I'm joking, referring to last week. I don't want to do that. And I think something that would help is the people that make our laws, the politicians that say this and that, they should be on the same health care as mm -hmm. what they say people need. If they didn't get the cream of the crop health insurance and they had to have what the general public have, you would see a lot different health care provided for people. Amen. And if you think about the history of medicine and insurance, you see that medical inflation is kind of rooted in the healthcare system, no matter how non-transparent it is, they became connected as time went on. And I, I'm not sure that that was a good thing. I think perhaps they should have been kept separate. We you when you say healthcare insurance, you immediately think medicine. What's wrong with a mindset of prevention? Well, the US actually leads in prevention in a lot, which I did like, such as breast cancer screenings and things like that. So mm -hmm. it's interesting to me that we can lead in prevention in some areas that are super important, like cancer and um, I don't know, other things, but then in other areas we totally lack and are very reactionary. Uh, and, and people are fearful of what they don't understand, things they haven't been exposed to. And you can take people that aren't well-versed and you can get a, a, a leader that's charming, demands attention, charismatic, and they can get people to do anything. Look what um, Jim Jones did to over 700 people. And since you're talking about charismatic leaders, let's talk about the ACA, about the Affordable Care Act, because I don't think we can have this conversation without discussing it. Um, okay. I think it did have a lot of issues, but I wasn't there for it. So as people who were there for it, who were in the workforce, how did it impact you? And do you think that overall it was maybe a step in the right direction, even though it was flawed? Or do you think it was overall a very bad decision? 
I, I think it was a, a bold move mm -hmm. to take a step and say, we want to make healthcare affordable. I do think that the rollout of it was not the best. It, it did add some cost, but here 10 years later, but you have to take a little step somewhere and somebody has to test the waters to see what to do. And that was the first start, you know, like I said, from 1912. Um, so let me ask you guys this then, on the heel of the ACA, the first attempt in a very long time to get universal healthcare in the US, the US has the highest chronic disease burden and also the largest obesity rate of what we consider developed nations. It also has the lowest life expectancy rate and the highest suicide rate among the top 11 nations that are considered developed. We do outperform those peers in preventative measures like we've already said, such as breast cancer screening and flu vaccinations. But the U.S. also has the highest number of hospitalizations and preventable, sorry, the U.S. also has the highest number of hospitalizations from preventable causes as well as the highest rate of avoidable deaths. These stats I all got from the commonwealthfund.org, an article they put out about the US healthcare system. These are kind of startling facts because the US, a lot of us do believe that we have the best healthcare that doesn't need to be fixed, but we have the highest number of hospitalizations from preventable causes, highest rate of avoidable deaths, which shocked me. Do you think that that plays into the cost of our healthcare? And should things like uh, malpractice lawsuits or um, administrative fees, should that be a burden of our insurance? You know, that, that's such a good question on, on many different thoughts. Mm -hmm. Our, our health care system is just so vast. Where do you start? You, you just cannot throw a blanket out over all of it, mm -mm. cover it all at one time. You have to pick a point and start somewhere. I think that's what the Affordable Health Care Act did. It started somewhere. The big thing is funding and how do you just take that very basic start and move to the next step? I just don't know how, how we can do that. Well, this is where I think the component of price tags or a designated cost for a procedure might help. If we knew what the procedure was going to cost, what our out-of-pocket expenses would be, um, I think it would would help the consumer, and then in turn it would also help the provider because they would know exactly what they should be reimbursed for by our healthcare mm -hmm. insurance. That's how it was when we were in India. Um, so I lived in India for six years in a city east of Mumbai, for those uh, listening that don't already know. And everything was a set price. So when we got sick, we would go to the hospital. We had insurance while living there, but um, being expats of a certain level, not to sound like a snobby shit, I'm not trying to, but just to kind of discuss it, we didn't have to use our insurance. And it was also difficult to use our insurance because our insurance was Lebanese and getting it refunded. We were just like, you know what, it's not a big deal. But we would get to the hospital and no matter what doctor I was going to see, we paid 500 rupees, which is about um, $8. And that was our office fee. We paid that up front before we even got to see the doctor. You visit the cashier first. 
then you go to the doctor and depending on what test they had to run, they would send you a bill and you would pay for that before they'd run the test. And I'm very aware of the fact that we're obviously talking about huge economical differences. So of course it's going to be cheaper there, but the system also kind of taught me a new way to look at healthcare. But do you think we could implement something like that with that master list? Or do you think that there would ever, do you think that if we did implement a master care in the U.S. that it would ever be at the level where people could reasonably afford health care out of pocket? Or do you think we're too far over that step in the U.S.? I don't know if, if we're over that, but it would be such a, an undertaking. Mm -hmm. It's just a, a culture that needs to change both in, in the thought of how we provide coverage for people and what the people can do for their own health. You know, some people never get out to exercise. I think exercise is one of the best medicines. Um, I've down 73 pounds from last March, um, working off seven years of fertility treatment weight. Um, the big joke, in the US, if you're not feeling good, the doctor will tell you, oh, you're dehydrated, drink more water. If you have a headache, if you have skin problems, and here the doctors tell you, oh, get outside and walk more. Um, so I've kind of put those two together. I drink more water and I walk more. I'll tell you when I first visited, I thought it was very unique to see so many elderly people riding their bicycles mm -hmm. and doing shopping um, on the bike and, um, then the use of the tram, the trams are everywhere. I am fascinated with the European culture, specifically Germany and Austria. So with universal healthcare, obviously there's pros, there's cons, there's major challenges. I can't tell you how relieving it is to know that I live somewhere where if I got hit by a car tomorrow, I would not have any bills that I would have to pay from it. This release of stress from knowing that my healthcare is taken care of and I don't have to worry about an accident has been wonderful. Uh, one third of the money raised on GoFundMe, the popular crowdraising platform, is for medical bills. They raise around $650 million per year specifically to help people cover their medical bills in the United States. And like we said earlier, two out of three bankruptcies generally happen because of healthcare expense being added on in some way. So how can we then move forward? Um, let's move this into, you know, we've laid down kind of what we think. How could we start making healthcare available? I'm a very political person. I'm very opinionated, those that know me. I'm not a total fan of Bernie Sanders at all. I've never been a huge fan of any candidate that I can remember in the last 12 years. I'm pretty vocal about both sides. Um, but in his Medicare for All plan that he did laid out, he had this interim adjustment plan that I didn't think was actually that bad. Uh, I don't agree with everything he says or does, so, but I'm just going to say I thought his Medicare idea was pretty decent. So children under 18 are automatically on Medicare, which would take that burden off the parents. Um, seniors 65 and over are automatically in it. Adults have the option to buy in. Um, but I don't know exactly what the rates would be or if that would be Medicare A, B, or C or whatever. And it didn't seem like too bad of an initial adjustment to at least maybe get the next generation into an option. I think this is going to be a generational debate and a generational issue where 
we're going to have to approach universal healthcare as setting up our children, maybe not setting us into it, create for the future. What do you guys think? How, how do we start? Do you think Bernie's onto something or not? Um, he could be onto something. It's at least the beginning of an idea. Mm -hmm. I do not agree with a lot of Bernie's platform because of um, my own particular beliefs. It, it is a step in the right direction. I, I strongly believe one of the benefits would be for us to be a, able to see the actual cost of health care mm -hmm. and that we provide a um, platform, a flat rate. If you go to a hospital setting here for a mammogram, your cost is substantially more than if you go to an imaging center that does nothing but mammograms. Why can't we take the cost of that to the bottom of and where it should be? And I think part of what we haven't discussed is layers and layers of cost added. In the U.S., we probably conservatively have somewhere between 40 and 50 different insurance plans from private mm -hmm. insurance to some of the government run and there's billing departments that are really not value added but a necessity because of the way our system is set up and how it's ran. I kind of relate the insurance and healthcare like the IRS and taxes. Maybe a flat way of taxing and doing things would be beneficial in one respect in the other respect, people say, well, you're going to put so many people out of work, but where do you get your most bang for your dollar? And how do you convince those out of their hand in the pot that they need to lose money for the betterment of everybody? Mm -hmm. and, and that's culture. We need to remember there are those out there that need care. Or just access to care. Just access. I, I don't think that healthcare should be, that access to healthcare should be only for the privileged. I think that in a developed country with the history of the U.S. and really what we have founded on, that even those in the poorest edges of our society should have access to the doctor and not have to die from something that can, can be preventable at all. The debates are going to be coming up here soon, and I'm really, well, I hope anyway, we haven't made any progress on debates yet, and the clock is ticking, but I'm really interested to see how they do debate healthcare with this major presidential election coming up and two complete wild cards, in my opinion. Um, if one of the candidates, um, either Trump or Biden, was to lay down a plan for universal health care, at this stage in the U.S., do you think it would be beneficial or detrimental to their, their platform? Well, I think that goes back to their base. You know, each candidate, and once again, we get back to only having two political parties, and each party caters to their base. What would be beneficial is, is to have somebody other than these two politicians debate this that doesn't have a horse in the race, mm -hmm. so to speak. They're up there on the podium and they're going to say what people hear, but when it comes down to the brass tacks and it's time to put the ideas on paper, that's when things start to change. And the, the presentation, the initial presentation becomes something different. And the big thing for me is how do they plan on paying for it? 
when they're talking about trillions of dollars to fund it. You guys, over the course of this podcast, I'm curious to know, as we've been discussing, has the information that you found or the discussion in any way changed your opinion on whether or not the U.S. needs universal health care or should, should pursue universal health care? I think what we haven't discussed in the topic of health care, is it a right to have health care or is it an option? Oh, oh, you we're going to open this worms. What do you think, Dad? Is it a right to be healthy? Well, being healthy is different than having a right to have health care. See, I, I, health care is a benefit to me, in my opinion, and not a right. You, sh you don't have a right to have health care, but you do have the right to make affordable health care available to you. And to me, that is the difference. Do you think that's because you have always had health care? No, it, it's, it's the ideal of what your rights are. And like I say, nobody to, to me has the right to say something has to be provided for you by someone else. But you do have the right to have something available to you at a reasonable cost. Yeah, I agree with Dad. Too many people want to tag, I have the right to a statement or a benefit when it really isn't a right at all. I think that's a, a, a hard comment to take on because I really think that a country as a whole functions better when all the citizens are healthy and taken care of. And I, I do believe that it is our universal right to be healthy. And in the system in the US, people cannot be healthy without access to healthcare. Um, and when people cannot afford to go to a doctor for the flu and they die from that, then that, that is a problem. And so I kind of agree with what you're saying, dad, that they do have the right to affordable healthcare. Um, but in your current system, they don't have it. Well, you said that you believe that everyone has the right to be healthy. Mm -hmm. Well, everybody also, has the obligation to take care of themselves. So and where does that fall? There's a difference there. Well, I, look at the food system. People can't even afford to buy vegetables, but they can buy 10 for 10 mac and cheese. So the whole system is not in favor of healthy living at all. Uh, that is a very good point. And they are changing some things on that. Um, at, they are making programs now through the WIC program, Women and Children program, where the food stamps, they get more for their money if they spend it on healthy choices versus produced food. So they are taking steps here to correct some of these problems and battle the obesity rate. You know, getting back to the word right, it's my right. I, that is something that is an entitlement. Do you think, honestly, that health care is an entitlement? So, I have a feeling this is just going to open a whole bag of wax, but I mean, it's just kind of, what are our basic 
human rights. Um, you know, we're all born free and equal in dignity and rights according to the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Um, part of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights says that we are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. And that's, you know, are we acting with the spirit of brotherhood if we're telling people it's not your right to have health care? How have we as a society gotten to the point where we can look at somebody next to us and say, you do not have a right to health care? I don't agree with that. And I think health care should be universal part of a functioning society in order to keep everybody healthy. Um, it's, for me, equal protection from the society. It's recognition as being equal. Even the US Constitution says all men are created equal, but then we put parts in place by deciding who has a right to what to make people unequal. So I, I personally don't agree with that. I can see where you're coming from. I don't agree. Well, let, let me ask you something. Now, you, you hit on two different things. First, you talked about the universal rights, and then you talked about the US constitution. I didn't say healthcare was in the constitution though, before you go there. I didn't say no, that. No, I'm not, but see, you referenced two different things. You referenced universal rights and then U.S. rights, you know, paraphrase or condense it down. We're talking about universal health care, and some people may think, well, there's universal health care like universal rights. That doesn't always hold true in the U.S. because we, we, are based on the U.S. system of the Constitution and rights, not so much universal. No, I disagree with all of that because the Constitution opens by saying all men are created equal. That's true. And it does, and that applies to the people that are in the U.S. It The, the U.S. Constitution is, is well, not... We're talking about U.S. universal health care. What dad, what you're trying to say isn't making sense um, to me. I mean, I, you're trying to protect the constitution. I know what you're going with, but talking about universal healthcare is a U.S. issue. Universal human rights is saying how people should be treated. And we're saying healthcare, you guys are saying that healthcare is not a right, but if we're all supposed to be created equal under our constitution and we're telling people that they do not have the right to healthcare, that are American citizens or qualified residents, how is that equality? Well, you, you hit a, a point where you were talking about just there at the end, either a citizen or qualified. That has a lot to do with the healthcare coverage. No, it doesn't, because there are millions of people in America that are citizens that have no healthcare because they don't have a job that qualifies or pays for it, or they don't qualify for Medicaid because they don't have children or whatever reason. There are millions of citizens in the U.S. right now that don't have health care. There, there is, and that segment of the population needs to be addressed. See, that goes back to our earlier conversation, what coverage you had in Germany until you qualified for it. I am a visitor in this country until recently when we got permanent residency. I am talking about born Americans, people in Appalachia, people in the South, people 
that are born and live in America without access to healthcare and without the ability to pay for a doctor. And, and that is something that needs to be addressed. Um, and there again, I have another thought that is, is a different topic on born in, in America that we can address at a later, at a later topic. But as far as universal health, talk about anchor babies. That is a topic for another discussion. Well, no, I mean, if you're bringing this up, I'm not talking about anchor babies. I'm talking about people that have American citizen parents or people who are generationally in here that do not have health care. That's where I don't understand why you're saying they don't have a right to it. And see, that that's a good point you made, a clarification on your previous statement, born in... You're twisting it because you're set that illegal immigrants and people that you don't believe are citizens don't deserve it. I'm just wondering when, sometimes when we say it's a right for people, we know that it's important. So would it be more value added to say that it is important instead of a right? Because when you're saying something um, that you have a right to something, I think you have a right to something means more than that. I will stand by my statement that with the U.S. being one of the top GDPs and considered one of the major economic powers of the world and being a developed country, that every U.S. citizen has a right to healthcare. That is my opinion. Well, they might be linked because there has to be a person who's going to hold the duty of fulfilling that right for the right for the person who's claiming the right. And and that's fine. But uh, so now my question to you guys goes, do you believe that every U.S. citizen has a right to healthcare? It's yes or no. Yes. But there's no but. It's do you believe every U.S. citizen has a right to health care? From there, we can take the different paths to make it happen. But this is simple yes or no. Do you believe U.S. citizens have a right to health care? Yes. But Dad? it needs to be a baseline. But I'm not, the discussion is second. This is yes or no. Dad, yeah. do you believe U.S. citizens have a right to health care? It's See, yes I, or no. It's yes or no. No discussion needed. Yes or no on that because they have a right to have affordable health care. Okay. Okay. And that's, that's, that's my sense. We have a right to affordable health care. Okay. So we all agree on that. And then we can all agree that the system is broken and we don't agree on how to get there or what would work best maybe to get us there. I, I agree with, with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I I can agree with that. I would hate, and here is a good example. When you kids left the nest, went out on your own, and um, were working jobs without insurance, and you were sick, that grieved me. Because I would know you needed to see a doctor, but you couldn't. So there were times that I offered to pay because mm-hmm. your income might have not been substantial enough to cover the health care cost. Um, 
or you were just stubborn enough to not go. Unless <laughs> <laughs> stubborn, I, never. Not our children, surely unless not. Unless I just demanded that you go. Um, one time your brother stepped on a nail. Oh, and, yeah. And his, he wouldn't go to the doctor. He had no insurance. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he just refused to go. And it was on his trip home when he was moving back to Indiana. I got him here and his foot was just even worse. And I knew in my heart of hearts he needed care. So I made him go. Are you talking? I did. I almost had to drag him, but we went to the emergency room and the physician said, had we not come in, he would have most likely lost his foot. So well, well, let me ask you this, you know, Jessica, when we talk about health care, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a projection of cost based on what we've spent in the last 10 years and projected out for the next 10 years mm -hmm. um, that the US will spend 7.65 trillion annually yep that's that is a ton ton of money and that has to be paid for somehow so I, I think part of the discussion for healthcare universal or for all or single payer is the funding aspect of it and, and I agree with that. Because and, and, and a lot of times it's like Bernie Sanders, well, we're going to tax the rich or th there needs to be shared by all a percentage. You know, it, it, if you're a low income person, if, if you pay 5% and if you're a multi-billionaire and you pay 5%, proportionally you're paying the same and there, there ought to be, a little, and I don't want to use pain as a word, but a little contribution through all aspects of society. Because if you're a multimillionaire or billionaire, you have private insurance mm -hmm. and you don't feel the pain that a person that's below the poverty line feels. So there, there, there needs to be not only universal health care or whatever you want to call it, but there needs to be the universal funding of it that's as equitable to pay for it as it is to receive the benefit. I 100% agree with that. And the thing is, is when you're projecting it on the current system, which I firmly believe that we cannot create universal healthcare under the current medical system, it all has to be rehashed. But when countries with universal healthcare look at medical spending, yes, the taxes are a little bit higher, but the spending overall is about half that rate. Um, what you're talking about right there is exactly what I'm living here. Um, my insurance as my income grows will grow. My taxes will grow. I pay 42% taxes right now. I'm 100% okay with that because I have good roads, good health care. Everyone around me is taken care of. We kicked ass at Corona. Um, kind of maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll delete that out. Um, but for me, it's worth it to pay more taxes. And even as our income increases here in Germany and our taxes increase, I'm going to be okay with that. But then again, can we do that in the U.S.? The U.S. is huge. There's already such a system that needs to be readapted. So that's where the problem for me lies is how, how to get there. I agree with what you're saying. I just don't know how we get there. 
Well, let, let me put this to you. You pay what a percentage in your taxes? 42. Okay. And, and I haven't put a pencil to this, but it, I was thinking certain levels of income say that I'm in the 32% income bracket. You know, I was somewhere around that back when I was working. Mm -hmm. Well, if I pay 32% there, I pay another 7% when I purchase something. Now I'm up to 38, 39%. When I get my utility bill, there's more taxes on that. We are probably paying close to the same amount in taxes when you add up all the taxes. 100% we are. Well, seeing that goes back to the government, the controls mm -hmm. of the industry and who benefits from it right now. It's for-profit hospitals, doctors, politicians, and some of the uh, companies in the supply chain. So 100%. How, how can Germany, where you live, pay the percentage of taxes that you do, and we're basically paying the same percentage here. It, it's not that not all the funding's in place, but the distribution and the guidelines and the oversight is not in place. When they take, and, and say Indianapolis, which is another county, we're in Johnson County, Indianapolis is Marion County. If, if you buy a bridge or food in Marion County, you have an extra percent added on so that they can help fund and pay for sports arenas for owners that are billionaires anyway that there is a fundamental flaw in the way our tax dollars are used and they could be used more efficient and for better health care or benefits to mm -hmm. society as a whole i think you nailed that right on the head and instead of asking how can germany do this ask why we're basically paying the same amount in taxes and I have such better programs that give me a better quality of life and lower my stress for daily living. I have a pension that I'm not worried about. When we have children, we'll get um, money kindergeld or monthly child money. Um, that child will get that money from the government all the way in through college. Um, the programs for our taxes and how they're used here is great. And you hit the nail on the head that we're paying the same thing. And it goes back to the stats that I used on like Denmark and Finland, where $45,284 as a yearly salary in the U.S. will get somebody the same amount as a salary just a little under 30000 in Denmark and Finland, respectively. So when we're talking about universal health care and people are like, well, I don't want to pay those taxes. You're already paying it. And if you have to go to the doctor, if you get in a car accident tomorrow or you get Corona, I've seen some of the Corona bills that are almost in the millions. How, what are you going to do? Just a little bit. It's already what you're paying. It's already what you're paying. Um, guys, we got to wind this down though. So I would love to know just real quickly your final thoughts. And then I'd love to know what sources you guys got your information from today. We got to make sure to give them a shout out since we utilize them for our opinions. Well, my, my opinion is a mixed bag that once again, my stance is it's not a right to be given healthcare, but everyone has a right to a affordable health care. A, a lot of the facts and figures that you provided, your mother provided, and, and mine were from deep diving into things that we weren't aware of or had touched on. Uh, some of my information uh, came from Vox, VOX, 
Some of it came from um, Nobel Prize winner Paul Krugman. Um, I touched on polls from Gallup, Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, Monmouth University. There's just so much out there that that we can look at and, and see, but I don't think we will ever agree on the best health care or the best way to pay for it until the landscape of the political parties is changed. Every podcast we have, I know I will circle back to politicians and they're in there elected by the people to solve problems and they seem to be creating more than what they're solving. And um, I do believe everybody, even though I kind of gave you the raspberries, I cannot get away from the right to affordable health care. I think in America, the term I have a right to has just been exploited to almost everything on on this planet. So for me to say that it was very hard, but um, I think people do need their health care. I'm a nurse. I would be... I think it would go against the grain of me to say something otherwise. Um, Sources today, I went with Britannica, ProConorg, where they talked about should all Americans have the right, parentheses, be entitled to health care. And I also uh, referenced the Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, a couple of articles there choices for financing Medicare for all. Then I went with international healthcare systems, the US versus the world, which is found on Axine Health Partners. And this gave a great definition of um, the three types of healthcare that's really out there among the world and which country falls under each category or a hybrid of. Let's see. Also, lastly, Market Watch opinion, the U.S. can slash healthcare cost 75% with two fundamental changes and without Medicare for all. And this was written by Sean Masaki Flynn. Good article, by the way. References Indiana. So it's, and, and just got... When, when I referenced Vox, V-O-X, the author of the story was Dylan Scott, and that was from uh, January 29th of, of 2020, and it's entitled Nine Things Americans Need to Learn from the Rest of the World's Healthcare Systems. That would be some good reference for people to look at uh, and see, because he had traveled to Taiwan, the Netherlands, uh, in Australia, and just a perspective on different coverages that these countries have. It's, it was a little eye-opening to see what other countries thought, uh, other people thought about the U.S. as a whole and what coverages we have or lack of. Yeah, awesome. Um, I'll link those, the ones that you just said, I'll link those into the pod. I'll link those into the podcast description so that anybody can get into those and see those as well. I was really interested to see that you did pick Vox, Dad, um, because they do typically lean left. They have a very progressive mentality. Um, 
but I actually used two of their videos as well. And the quote that I found earlier, the society works best when there's balance between excess and deficiency did come from a Vox video as well. Um, I looked at Crash Course. I found an amazing nonpartisan video from the, this really great YouTube channel called Above the Noise. He did an excellent job of breaking down the current healthcare and some things that are wrong with it and some things that could help. And I also found two great YouTube channels that I fell into called Global Health with Greg Martin and Healthcare Triage. Uh, those are my sources that I haven't already quoted through this. I do believe that healthcare is a right, but I also do agree with you, mom, that um, because people do think everything is a right to them, that when we're, we are talking about things that are right, maybe we're not willing to maybe look at them because not everything is a right, but I stand firm that I believe healthcare is a human right. Um, you guys, this was episode three of You Know I'm Right, the podcast. If you have opinions, feedback, things like that, go ahead and let us know. You can find us on all social media at You Know I'm Right. Sources and other things that we have found and talked about on this podcast will be in the podcast description so that you can also find these for yourself, read these articles, books that we used, videos that we watched, things like that. And if you have an idea for a future episode, please send those to us. We love to know what you want us to talk about, look into and research for ourselves. And I guess that kind of brings us to next week, you guys. What do you want to talk about? I'd, I'd like to suggest our, our next podcast is, is another hot topic that's sure to be part of the debate and what people will be taking a, a hard stand on and on the left and the right is balloting mail-in ballots and how that will proceed and be a part of the upcoming presidential election. I think that's an excellent topic, very timely. And um, I haven't dove into it too much myself living overseas as an expat. So I would love to discuss this with you. Uh, what do you think, mom? I'm aboard. Well, I love it. So the next week we're going to break down mail-in ballots. And will this be the episode that breaks our calm demeanors? We'll see. Um, I'm Jessica. I'm Sharon. And I'm Dale. Those are my parents. And this was episode three of You Know I'm Right.